Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to our show. My name is Deborah Rose, and I'm your host on Circle Talk. Circle Talk is one of the shows featured on CSNP, Circle Sanctuary Network Podcast. CSNP has a lineup of rotating shows throughout the month. Mondays feature Lunatic Mondays with host Laura Gonzalez. It can't be Tuesday without Circle Talk, and I continue to be the host for this fun discussion show on the first and third Tuesdays of each month. Wednesdays features a new show, Circle of Nature, with none other than Selena Fox. The third Friday of each month features Blue Marble, an eco-educational, eco-restorational, eco-activism, and eco-spirituality podcast, fun and informative lineup of shows. And we here at CSNP hope that you try them all. Celebrate the April full moon online with Circle Sanctuary Community. The theme is Imagine and takes place on Tuesday, April 4th. Full moon circles begin at 7 p.m. Central Time, which is 8 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Mountain, or 4 p.m. Pacific Time. Our full moon circles include invocations, music, meditation, poetry, reflections, and ritual workings. They are facilitated by Selena Fox, Judith, and other members of the Circle Sanctuary community. Those joining us online are invited to bring a candle to Kindle during the ritual and are invited to interact with others in the chat on YouTube. Attendance is free and no registration is required. For more information, please go to circlesanctuary.org. Pagan Spirit Gathering, or PSG, is one of America's oldest and largest nature spirituality festivals. Since 1980, PSG has been bringing together pagans of many paths and places to create community, celebrate the summer solstice, and commune with nature in the sacred environment. Circle Sanctuary will be opening the gate for parents Pagan Spirit Gathering, or PSG, on June 2023. PSG will be held from June 19th to June 25th, 2023, at the Pulaski County Fort Leonard Wood Shrine Camp near Waynesville, Missouri. For more information and to register, please go to www.sanctuary.org and click on the Pagan Spirit Gathering link on the right side of the main page. Registrations are now being accepted for both participants and merchants. And if you register by March 20th, you get an early bird discount. So come out, register, enjoy eight days of community, music, workshops, rituals, festivals, and more under the summer solstice sun. To brew healing potions, harness the power of sigils, create amulets to protect against evil, Give life to thought forms for long-lasting magic and more? Tonight, I'm so excited. We're going to be talking with Phoenix Silverstar about her new book from Llewellyn, Spells from Scratch, How to Craft Spells at Work. And it's just more than a collection of ready-made spells. This new book explores well-established principles of magic. Phoenix is going to talk with us about how to take our magic into our own hands by casting potential bewitchments that are specific to our own wants and needs. Phoenix Silverstar is a member of the Aquarian Tabernacle Church and the former Dean of Faculty and Teacher at the Wollstonestein Theological Seminary, having retired at the end of 2021. She's a longtime magical practitioner and shares her knowledge of magic, mythology, and other subjects as a presenter at festivals and events everywhere. Many of you may have attended uh, PSG, and you may have gotten to go to one of her workshops. I am, and I'm such a fan. I'm so excited to chat with her tonight. Let's welcome Phoenix to Circle Talk. Welcome, Phoenix. Thank you. I am so thrilled and happy to be here. Oh, I am too. As I said, I am. I am such a fan of your of your workshops and of your work. So. Um, so I'm excited for our listeners to get to know you and hear about your new book. So how did it start for you? Did you grow up pagan? I did not grow up pagan, but I did. Um, I early on realized that I could make things happen 
the way that I wanted uh, things to be. And it took me quite some time to understand what that meant and mm-hmm. how to, to harness it. But um, so I found my pagan home maybe 25 years ago or so. Mm-hmm. Well, what made you uh, decide to write a book? Well, I was living in India for a while. This was one of the triggers, and a friend there bought a spell book, and it was full of pre-written spells that my friend had no idea why they were constructed the way they were constructed or Mm -hmm. how to even how to even really cast those spells other than just following steps. It's, if you think about cookbooks, they're mm-hmm. full of recipes. Some books are good. Some books just give you the ingredients and, and a little bit about how to do it. And if you don't know the techniques, your dishes won't come out right. So it's the exact same thing with magic. You have to know the techniques to to be able to successfully cast So what this book does is instead of having primarily a bunch of pre-written spells, it focuses on the techniques because the best spells and the most effective ones are those that are written for specific purposes, not something that that you read out of somebody else's book. Absolutely. And for our listeners out there, how do you um, define magic? Well, magic is not miracles. Magic, mm-hmm. magic is making the possible probable. So that's what I am, what I, um, how I define it. It is moving the needle on the probability that something that is already possible will happen. Mm-hmm. Things, things that are not possible at all. You, know, if you want to have a a dog with the head of a snake, um, mm-hmm. it is not possible. So you can't move mm-hmm. the needle on that because dogs don't live with snake heads. So right. the, the first premise is that it has to be possible, and your magic moves the needle of probability towards manifestation. Do you remember the first type of spells or the first spells that you did when you when you really became serious with this? Nah, I remember things as a child where I would think about um, a situation that I wanted Mm -hmm. to come to pass and I would place myself in that situation in my mind and Mm -hmm. sort of look around in that situation and then the situation would come to pass. I don't remember specifically when I, in, in the terminology that I now use, mm-hmm. did the first spells that, that grew up, that grew over time. <laughs> yeah. So what, what actually, what makes magic work? That's a great question. The, the first thing that everybody who does magic have to do is make sure that that they aren't blocking their magic unintentionally. We're taught from young age that magic doesn't work, and that tends to to make us think it won't work. And that's the first thing is to actually realize that it will work. Um, mm-hmm. The power of thought as you go a day, you go about your day, is much more powerful than we think. Because we go out, they go out like little miniature thought forms or, or into the universe. And the, you know, there's lots of thoughts coming from many people. And so most of it, nothing really happens because it's not, um, it's not, it's not focused. However, mm-hmm. if you keep thinking the same thing over and over, you are unintentionally creating something in the astral. I'm going to talk about the astral more, I hope, later on the show. Mm-hmm. Um, so the first thing is to make sure that you're thinking productively 
and positively about what it is that you want to manifest rather than thinking that it's not going to work because then that's what you're sending out. You're sending out that, that oh, this may not happen. And then mm-hmm. that's exactly what happens. It doesn't happen. Um, so then um, the, what makes it work is there's, in my mind, several, quite a few steps. Um, you need to, first of all, as I said, make sure it's, it's uh, possible. Then you need to look at your ecosystem. You know, does your partner, if you have one, support this goal manifesting? Does your mm-hmm. other family support it? Do you have, are there resources that are needed to make this happen that you first need to get? And maybe you should then move your goal to just first get manifest the resources to get to your final goal. Mm-hmm. Um, and do you, if you need extra education for it to manifest, maybe you should first look at manifesting that you get that education. So it's mm-hmm. uh, making sure you don't fight off too much is one of is one of the aspects of making it work. The other one is emotion and intent, and uh, intent, of course, is is a huge part that that. Uh, if you don't feel it, it's mm-hmm. not going to happen either. Putting your feelings have an enormous amount of power. You know, we talk about raising power. Feelings mm-hmm. are a huge part of that. And so, and this, what I mentioned of putting yourself into the body of yourself when your goal has manifested is hugely powerful in terms of uh, creating it in the astral. I'll explain that a bit mm-hmm. later again. And creating the the possibility for it to manifest in you know here on on our plane. So um, yeah, go ahead. Now that I'll stop there. <laughs> now I was just going to say you also had something that I, I really liked the word. Um, I wrote notes from when I read your book. You talked about acting in accord which I really like that. Let's talk Tell about, us about that. that. Because that is very critical. So let's think, I think I have an example in there that says that you're trying to get a job. And I think this was an example that somebody even told me a long, long time ago. Mm-hmm. You, you want to get a job, and so you create this wonderful spell with all the incantations and all the, the layering, all the symbols, everything, and you you see yourself sitting at a desk at a new job, and 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 you cast your spell, you send all the energy towards sitting in that desk, and then you go and watch TV for the next thirty days, mm-hmm. and nothing happens. You don't get a new job, and of course, the reason for that is that. You haven't done your part. Acting in a court mm-hmm. in this example would then be to you know, write your resume and start, send out in, uh, applications. Maybe if you if the job is such that you need proper clothing, make sure you have good clothes for a job interview, etc. That is working in a court. And in the seminary, we do a great spell that's called a sun spell, where we we teach the students to. To well, actually, not anymore. I don't teach anymore. But anyway, the the spell is to write, <laughs> yeah, all write out all the details of what it is you want to manifest on rays of the sun. Hand in hand with that goes writing down all the steps that it would take to manifest that goal, and then work when you you put your your sun away. So that it you know, you don't get hung up on it, but you keep your steps list mm-hmm. so that you actually keep working on it. That is working in a uh, acting in accord. Did that did that answer it? Absolutely. And, and again, that's one of the I have core beliefs and core principles, and and that is what I teach my students that we live on the physical plane, and we may yeah. visit other realms, but 
you can do the world's best spell all you want, but if you don't write a resume, you're never going to get a job. They're not going to come to your front door. You've got to put energy into it. And, um, again, people sometimes don't want to hear that, but I agree with you. I think what magic does, what that energy does, it just gives me better odds. It gives me, you know, it's like having an inside person for a job. It it won't get you the job if you're not qualified, but it helps. Magic helps. It, exactly. It moves the needle. It moves the probability needle, probability needle of it happening towards the positive. Absolutely. So doing the mundane, doing the mundane work that goes hand in hand with the magical work is always key. Yes, I uh, I uh, I totally agree. Um, and there's uh, and there's so many different things you can do once you start trying to incorporate that energy into your life. You know, you you everything from you know putting oils or blessing a resume before you send it out. I mean, there's you just I just think you get that energy swirling around you, and the universe says, "Hey, they're serious. They want a job," and boom, it happens. Exactly. So, again, and I will tell the listeners while they need to run out and get your book, you do, a, not only do you good a good job of explaining things and breaking them down, you also give exercises and things that you can do um, to put those principles that you just talked about to work, which I found really helpful. I think that's important because just like with anything else that you're trying to learn, practice makes perfect. Right. And there are, the more accomplished, the more practice you get, the more accomplished you're going to get and the easier it's going to get to manifest things. The first time maybe yeah. you, you don't trust that it's going to happen and it doesn't. The next time you will have realized that's what you did and and uh, corrected it. So yes, I I, I really do hope that people I do hope that people will do the exercises because that makes the book so much more valuable for the reader in my in my mind. I I agree because a lot of of um, I have met many a witch who's in her head. Um, again, I have a really good friend who maybe has 30 books on candle magic, but I don't know that she's ever actually dressed a candle. And so sometimes you may think something, but the exercises compel you to work out and you see if you understood it or not. So I yeah. I really appreciate it. And I think the listeners will too when they read their book, those practical exercises to you to um, put together what you're talking about um, in real life. So I think that's, as you say, I think that's very, very, very helpful. Yeah. Yeah. And you talk uh, in your book about um, different types of magic. Talk talk to our listeners about the different types of magic that you talk about in your book. Okay. So first, since I'm sure somebody's going to think that this is going to be about the differences between ceremonial magic and other types of magic, it's not what I mean when I when I talk about types of magic, I mean the the laws of magic. Um, mm-hmm. Sir James Fraser, uh, all the way back in 1890, published a book, The Golden Bow, where he analyzed the laws of magic, and so he defined mm-hmm. them. He gave them names: the law of similarity and the law of contagion, and which he then put under the umbrella of sympathetic magic, and then he talks about um, religious magic. So the law of similarity is why we use symbols, for example, um, mm-hmm. or words, because what it says is that what you send out is what you pull in. It's a little similar to the uh, new age thought of like attracts like, or like produces like, or the right. law of attraction. But it's right. like produce is like. It's really exactly what this is. That's why um, if we're trying to, well, simple example, if we're trying to to manifest 
a higher income, one of the things that we might draw if we're doing a paper spell is a dollar bill. Mm-hmm. And, so, and it is why we look for symbols to use, to incorporate not just words, and to look for herbs that have the, the correspondences that, that we want for this to, to manifest. Um, so that's, that's the first law, the law of similarity. Use things that are similar to what you want to manifest. If you want to manifest transformation in your life, use mm-hmm. something uh, that shows a caterpillar and a butterfly, for example. Mm-hmm. The second part of the sympathetic magic is the law of contagion. And what that says is that anything that has been in physical contact remains forever in magical contact. So. I'm sure you have heard that if you're going to do magic for somebody that you have the permission of Mm -hmm. of doing magic for, they've asked you to do it, so we're ethically not in some questionable territory. So we try to include some of their hair or a piece of clothing or something of theirs because that connects the spell directly with them. Again, that which has been in physical contact remains forever in magical contact. When you put mm-hmm. something of theirs into the spell, whether it's tying something around a candle or right, you know, taping it to a piece right. of paper, whatever you're doing, so tying it into a, a witch's ladder, it ties it di- directly to that person. It can't go wrong because it can't, it can't go wrong in terms of who the spell is for. It's also why some people are very careful about leaving their hair and so on behind. In my... In my, I don't worry about it because I think that the the risk of somebody who is my enemy having enough magical capability that they could actually do anything with my hair is remarkably small. (laughs) (laughs) Let me ask you a question. And again, if you have a hair or fingernail, what if you have a photo or say I have a friend who um, collects um, giraffes, and I would have a stuffed giraffe, or I had a picture of a giraffe. Can can you use things like that, or does it actually have to be something that touched them? You can use it because of the law of similarity. It won't okay. invoke the law of contagion, but because it is a symbol for them, right? It it okay. will layer the magic with the law of similarity. Okay. And then All right. there's one type of magic that we didn't talk about yet, and that's the religious magic, which is Tell us about that. Remar- yeah, remarkably similar across many religions. You know, we call on the goddess or God to accomplish a goal. Often we call it praying. And we give offerings to that deity to, to get their help in manifesting a goal. In Christianity, for example, in Catholicism, many people light a candle for a saint or they give money to the poor mm-hmm. as an offering to get help for something that they are praying for. Well, it's, a, it's a kind of religious magic, isn't it? Absolutely. Um, in, in Wicca, um, I'm Wiccan, so it, for me mm-hmm. it might mean placing pieces of fish or bread or garlic for ecotic or giving a rose or pearl necklace, I've actually done that, to a statue of Aphrodite. Mm-hmm. It's a it's an offering that we give. It's an energy exchange, if you will, an offering that we give to the deities in order or to ask for their assistance with something. When we do, my belief when we do that is that the more the the more we know about the God, if we're not, if it's not our own patron deity, that we probably, if you have one, that we probably mm-hmm. know very well. But if we're working with, let's go back to we're being very job and money focused here. So mm-hmm. let's say that we that we want this job with a better salary, and so we're going to work with Mercury, and maybe Mercury is not a God that we've worked with a lot before, and. 
my experience has been that the more you then learn about that deity before you start working with them to manifest something, the better the outcome will be because they are pleased when it's humans respectful. put it's respectful and they are pleased when they see that the human has put in their work. And so learning what the deity what to offer the deity, learning if they have like common for Greek gods is that they have epithets, they have different names after their their normal name and sometimes those are you use different ones depending on what what you are trying to manifest and again mm-hmm. so learning about the deity before working with them is really going to be helpful in manifesting your goal and from what I've been taught and what I've learned, it's like if somebody I don't really know comes up and asks me to do them a favor, I'd be like, you know, I don't really know you. Go away. But if somebody who's a friend who I've worked with asks me, then that makes a difference. And so they're like, yeah, it's kind of rude to just, you know, pull up a deity that you don't really know and say, hey, can you do this for me? Um, so, yeah, I totally uh, – a respect goes a long way as above and below with humans and deity. I just think we, and, and for me doing the research and reading is a, is a, is a type of offering to my guides that I care enough to read. Yeah. And many believe, including me, that a God whose name is no longer spoken and about whom there are no longer any writings, meaning they're completely forgotten. That's a dead God. Gods that are talked about or talked with and prayed to and given offerings to are gods who live. Mm -hmm. And so so obviously anybody pretty much wants to live. So the fact that we, right. when we're working and offering, giving offerings, we keep we are helping that deity to 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 know, you know, to stay alive, basically, and and obviously that is appreciated. Absolutely, and as I said, I've attended many of your classes. Your Reiki class is wonderful, and your um, class on um, Indian and Hindu mythology was fabulous. Why do you think mythology is so important? Do you, do you think that's because it um, it reminds us of what was? Well, I I believe those gods are real. Uh, the mythology, uh, the, the mythology are their stories, and we learn about them through the mythology. Um, they, they, it's important because they are real. We are not just working with some concept, construct, right? So this is a little away from the spells, but my belief is that um, you know we have the Lord and the Lady, which we can understand. Above that, there is something something that we can't even fathom. Then we have the Lord and the Lady, which is something that we can understand. And maybe there are more because now we're getting so much insight into that. It's maybe not that easy that it's just a him and a her. And below that, they have manifested in different societies as different uh, gods. Well, let me take the archetype layer. Under there, there's a bunch of archetype deities like the trickster. Mm-hmm. Any mm-hmm. society who needed a trickster will have a trickster in their pantheon. Um, you like Loki or what? Um, Coyote. And most pantheons that are polytheistic have a, a, god, a love goddess and a love god. And so they... The deities have manifested as different deities in different cultures. 
based on the need of that culture. Now, again, we went a bit away from spells, but that is also helpful, I think, because then you can look at the culture and see, is this culture aligned with what I am um, trying wow. to manifest? And then you find the deity that corresponds to um, the t- typically the archetype that you're looking for and what is what, how did that archetype manifest as a deity in that culture? Absolutely. And besides the type, I thought you did a very good job, and I think it's so important, and not every um, book touches on this, a spell book, is you talk about the ethics and how that affects your spell. Yes. And so that is, of course, key for your safety, really. It is ethics, but it's also safety because when mm-hmm. you're doing malevolent magic, if you're sending out um, energy that is going to be hurtful to somebody, it might just come back and bite you. In the West, we use the word karma in the sense that it comes back in this lifetime rather than mm-hmm. in the East where you know, it it affects your next lifetime. We uh-huh. use the term a little differently. And that is real because if you are sending out malevolent energy, you are surrounding yourself with malevolent energies, and that comes back to bite you. So, I, I agree with that a thousand percent. And so the key there is really to understand whether your magic is interfering with somebody else's own will. Mm-hmm. Unless unless somebody has asked you to do to perform magic, to perform a spell for them for for them to do something specific, you should not. Mm-hmm. And to give if I remember from reading, you gave a really good example of a healing spell for somebody who really didn't want to be healed quickly, if I remember correctly. Right. right. Yeah. The, the aunt who is in the hospital, and mm-hmm. you think it's a good idea to send her a healing spell? You don't have all the facts. That's the other aspect. You never know all the facts about somebody else's situation. And in the example, right. the, the aunt is in the hospital and actually is getting a respite from her verbally emotionally difficult to deal with husband, and she is not really um, looking to get out of the hospital quickly. So, and it would be, of course, highly inappropriate to send her a healing spell at that point. Absolutely. Well, you've talked several times about the astral plane. Can you tell us about the astral plane and what it has to do with spells? Yes. So... We have, you know, there are multiple planes. We're just going to focus on the astral and the, and the physical here. And yeah. the, the astral plane is a superset of what's on the physical plane. The physical plane is what you have, you know, you can touch your chair you're sitting on and your desk. Right. On the astral plane, you can only work with your astral body um, you outside of your physical body. There is a lot that exists on the astral plane that doesn't exist in the physical plane, but everything on the physical plane is a is has an astral double. It cannot be here if there is no astral double. It comes mm-hmm. out of the astral double. So The astral plane, again, has much more than the physical, but for something to exist in the physical, it has to exist in the astral. So, therefore, the first thing we need to do when we want to, if we want something to happen or manifest here on the physical plane, is to create it in the astral. And you do that with, if you're you're an accomplished astral traveler, you, 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 you go lie down on your bed and do your thing. But if you're just beginning, you start with visualizing what you want to manifest as existing in the astral, and you put all the emotions you feel 
about manifesting this goal. Again, mm-hmm. you put yourself, you're, you've put yourself into the body, into the situation where your goal has manifested, and you feel what you're going to feel, and you hear what you're going to hear, you see what you're going to see, and that feeling part is the most important because that helps create it in the astral plane. And it tells the universe how it is. And the universe nods and, and makes it so. It's Absolutely. So you need to send the energy that you raised with the spell to the place and time where you want it to manifest. But you do that first in the astral. Then you also... Uh, when you finally send, when you uh, when you cast your spell, you also visualize it here on the physical. There's a lot more about this in the book. <laughs> Absolutely, and, and the book do a really good job of talking a lot about a lot of uh, complex uh, correspondences and breaking them down in terms that. Um, are easy to understand and would make you want, if you're interested in something, search out more. Um, Like you talk about uh, magical timing, which I thought was really good. You talk about moon courses and astrology. And tell us a little bit about why that's important to spell work. So, again, it, it goes back to the law of similarities, we do something that we call layering of a spell, which is you add, if you're doing a candle spell, you might carve things on your candle, you draw it, whatever you're doing. Um, but you lay and you layer it by adding these correspondences, the things that are magically similar to what you want to manifest. Mm-hmm. So. If you want to attain wisdom, for example, you want to study, you might use an owl. That's, that's a correspondence to wisdom. It's a symbol of wisdom. And mm-hmm. it, um, I talk about the chakras, for example, because the chakras are um, connected with various both emotional uh, parts of our emotional system and, and mental health system and physical right. system. And so by incorporating the color, um, say that you want to draw love into your life. Uh-huh. You might you might add you might add green or pink for the heart chakra. And you mm-hmm. might add orange because it's you know, if you want to add some libido to it, um, right? Some death. So that is those are color correspondences. So you talked about the the moon faces. That mm-hmm. the moon faces and um, where the moon, which sign the moon is in are useful for timing when to cast a spell. For example, if you're trying if you're you're trying to manifest something to to come into existence, you want uh-huh. to do that in the waxing part of the moon cycle. If you're trying to get rid of something, to banish it out of your life, you want to do that in the waning part of the moon cycle especially mm-hmm. the very last part before you go into a dark moon because clearly, magically, something there is disappearing in the sky and we want to make right. use of that disappearing energy. Uh, right. Which, which sign in the moon is a quick, moves quickly. It moves through all of the 12 um, zodiac signs in 28 days. So you have a good chance of being able to time your spell where the moon is in a in a sign that is aligned with your uh, with your goal. Mm-hmm. If you want to be become more able to see both sides of a of an issue because you have um, 
you have maybe been stuck, stuck on seeing things a little one-sidedly, you might want to do it when the moon is in Gemini. If you want to be more assertive and make sure you have, that you're more driven, you might want to do it when the moon is in Aries. And it's much easier to work with the moon magic that way than with the sun magic because the sun takes uh-huh. a whole year to get right. to you to get through the zodiac. But since the moon moves so quickly, you really it you're quite an opportunity to to add that layer. Again, this is another layer of magic to yourself. Um, and I love that you had the layer. Um, I work with color a lot, and you do a really good about um, section about using uh, color magic. Yes, and so that is, there are several aspects. I already talked about the chakras. There's also the uh-huh. law of similarity, that, that mm-hmm. if you, um, let's say that somebody has, um, measles and uh-huh. you want them to heal quickly and so you make a puppet uh-huh. and you could have it's hard if you make a lot of dots on the puppet it's hard to remove them and what you want to do in this case is to remove the dots from the puppet because uh-huh. you want the dots to go away but what you might do is, is then is symbolize the disease with a piece of red cloth that you can Remove. You're relying on the law of similarity again because the the, the measles dots are red, and so the mm-hmm. red is going to represent the the disease that you can then remove from the pocket. For example, very clever. Is, is that is that what you were thinking of? Absolutely, very clever. And, and like I said, I think the um, I think the readers when they purchase their book will, again, half the book um, talks, I mean, you've got rings in here, you have a lot of different elements, you have a lot of different correspondences where you give a very um, detailed introduction so that it, it makes it makes sense. So, uh, but something I found curious and that um, I don't, that I work with, but I don't see in a lot of spell books, and I was so excited to see in yours, Talk to our listeners about thought form. About, sorry? Thought form. I do. Thought form. One more. Thought forms. Okay. Sorry, I didn't hear you there. Okay. So, yep, um, two kinds of thought forms, physical and uh, those that are just spiritual. In each case, let's take the physical first, um, you have an object in, and a physical thought form is probably is something where you want to have a, a spell that is going to work long term. And if it's physical, again, it's probably something that you want to work in a special uh, locality, in a special um, place, because you're not going to move around your thing unless it's something you carry with you so that it works for you. But so mm-hmm. what you do is you select. Um, an item, and the thought, a thought form is, again, it's a long-term spell. You program this item. It's often a statue, but it mm-hmm. doesn't have to be. It, it doesn't have to be. An amulet can hold a thought form, too. Uh, but you program it with the, the elements, and I have examples of how you do that, mm-hmm. and all the correspondences are in there, so you know how to uh, program it in each of the elements to to hold your spell. And then you can add oils, which again uh, describe to layer the spell, to layer the the thought form, the the what goes into this. I'm going to call it a statue. This object. Um, mm-hmm. You can you can adorn it with symbols and necklaces and uh, items and offer it items and then uh, you can offer them before or after you do the most important part 
I typically do it before because it's not a deity. Uh, you name it, and you should name it something that is significant for your goal, and mm-hmm. then you blow life into it. That is in the, that is the casting of the spell in this case. When you Absolutely. name it, you, you you tell it its name and its purpose, and and then you better write it down, which I also point out because. If for some reason you need, you need to undo it, you need to remember you need to remember all the things you did to create it so that you can uncreate it. Um, and you can also do this even if you don't have an object by just programming it with programming with words, and then again you name it and you send it out energetically like you would send out a spell. But again, the thought form is meant to work not at a specific time, but over a period of time. Mm-hmm. Does so, that make sense? Did, did that explain it? Absolutely. And your book goes into it. It talks about using thought forms with candle magic. I mean, it does a really good job. In fact, the I would say a third of the book are different types of spells that you can help people to work through, um, which I really, really, um, I really enjoyed. There are, um, there are examples, lots of examples of spells, that, types of spells, so that people can you do more than just write a piece of paper. Uh, so there are not spells, um, you know, chord magic, there is um, jars. Pardon? You have healing spells, which I really enjoyed seeing. Yep. And and there are mirror spells in there. Of course, paper spells, spell bags, how to make holy water. All of it is explained and based on the principles of magic, the techniques that have been presented first, so that people do not... It, um, or, or execute these spells blindly. They can mm-hmm. exercise them, execute them knowing what they're doing, and they can tweak them because the whole point is that they're absolutely transparent and they know why each ingredient is in the spell. And if they have a slightly different goal, they can then, based on all the correspondences that are listed in the book, they can switch out. Uh, ingredients to to those that work better for their purpose. Absolutely. So, and you've talked several times about raising energy and we direct energy. Can you tell our listeners what that means? Most people are familiar with um, sending healing energy, right? Either pulling it up from the ground or pulling it down from the universe and then sending it out by... In, if I am doing it, I, I turn towards the direction that the person is that has asked for healing, and I mm-hmm. see, uh, I visualize the power going uh, to them. So, and most people do some form of this, and that is the easiest way to start um, with sending out energy when doing when doing um, spells. But there are lots mm-hmm. of traditional ways. Dancing, uh, incantations are fantastic. I talk quite a bit about incantations in the book. Absolutely. Explain to our listeners who may not be familiar, what does incantation mean? It is stating the, the, what it is that you want to manifest in some preferably rhythmic or rhyming way. It doesn't have to be, uh, you, um, it doesn't have to be, poetry, it's yesterday I fell, today I am well, for the greatest good of all, so more it be. But historically, both rhymes and meter have been used in incantations, and therefore that um, 
it has in itself power. However, <laughs> Absolutely. if you can't, if you can't get to yourself, you know, if you are not um, inclined to write in in a meter or in rhyme or both, you want to do neither. You can just repeat more like a chant. Uh, I am you. I am well. I am well. I am well. Because mm-hmm. chanting in itself raises power. Mm-hmm. Dancing does it. Um, meditation. Oh, when you work, when you work to manifest your goal in the astral, that raises a huge amount of power in itself. It, it, that is a traditional way of raising of uh, raising power. And so. Absolutely. Um, any form of movement will raise power. Um, right. Dancing. I have the up dancing, absolutely. Um, there are some that I won't talk about here. Absolutely. But no, in it, in it, in it, it, absolutely. Physical intimacy can raise power. Uh, yeah. Chanting. Uh, ab- ab- absolutely. Um, yeah. Yeah, there are many ways to, and and once you do it for a while, you can, like, I can feel physically when energy is being raised. I can feel if it's when it's happening. Let me say a word about incense. Incense is great because not only does it raise um, power in itself, but you can Mm -hmm. also layer your energy with incense because incense is made often from flowers, for example, herbs and mm-hmm. by properly choosing the incense not only are you raising power just because you're burning incense but you're layering your magic by having chosen the incense that specifically supports what you're trying to manifest oh that's really that's and there again that's what you were talking about layers layering exactly. your magic absolutely absolutely that's exactly what it is. absolutely so um uh, talk a little bit about, too, I remember in your book you talked about, um, uh, and I don't see in a lot of books, wards. You talked about wards, and I thought that was really, really good. So wards are okay ethically because you're always allowed to protect yourself. Correct. You are not, you're not, if you're placing wards, um, you might do, you know, you might have a vicious fall that you're, facing outwards, or you may have pentacles that you face outwards. You might mm-hmm. have gargoyles, gargoyles, I love the gargoyles. Um, mm-hmm. And you might even program them as thought forms to be wards around your property. And this is ethically cor- uh, okay because you're not directing Pardon them you. against right. a certain person. You're just directing them against anybody who might have ill will towards you. Right. And uh, and uh, any negative energy that's that's uh, heading your way. If someone wanted to, they've they've read your book and and they want to start. And like I said, I have known so many people who've read a lot of books, but I think starting um, is is its own fear. What is um, where do you suggest they start? What is a good um, start with? Very benign and uncomplicated spells. You know, like, yeah. I will be happy. To, um, I Tomorrow I am happy. That's um, great. Yeah, I believe I, I, affirmations I, have their own kind of energy and magic. Yeah, I, and let me just say, I am happy. Let's forget that tomorrow. That's a whole other mm-hmm. problem with that. But, yes, affirmations are often, if you think of them, with, you state them in the positive, you state them in the present, and if you think of it, that's exactly how you need to phrase a spell. You need to phrase it in the positive because the universe doesn't understand not it doesn't understand right. never very well. It, for you 
phrase them in the positive and you phrase them in the now, in the present, because tomorrow is always tomorrow. And you know, today mm-hmm. is always today. Tomorrow is, is its own today. And so an affirmation is the way of stating a goal. And in fact, in the book, it does talk about this transition, how you go from affirmations or you use your affirmations as part of your spell. That can be your incantation should really contain an affirmation about your, about manifesting your goal. Absolutely. Do you, do you have an, an idea? This book was wonderful. And, and again, um, um, our readers can, is it, has it already been published? The book is out. Yes. It is out. Okay, good. So they can get it at Llewellyn.com. They can probably get it on Amazon, major bookstores. Um, Yeah. And it is Spells from Scratch by Phoenix Silverstar. Spells from Scratch, yes. Thank you. Do you have, are you, do you have thoughts about writing another book? Because this book was great. I'd love for you to write another one. (laughs) I haven't started yet. I'm thinking about it. Oh. I'm, I'm letting that that form more fully before I take off. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I'm always so interested in people who who are creative. Um, was have you written a lot? Was it difficult for you to write this book? I have written a lot, but not this type of of uh, of writing I have written a lot of paper type writing right um, and so this is of course a little bit a little bit different but and I I started this quite a while ago and then I, I put it aside for a while for various reasons mm-hmm. but once I got back to it it's I think it's um, Alex bled so is an author who writes fiction mm-hmm. and he says that it's fine if he just does a thousand day, words a day, that's fine. And I didn't even set that high of a goal um, because mm-hmm. sometimes I, need, I needed to let my, my thoughts clarify on a subject, even though I've been doing it for a long time. Right. How, how to put it in words that explain it needed right. to sometimes be sure. Yeah. Well, you do a very good job. So uh, I think people will really, really enjoy this book. And so uh, uh, thank you so much for taking the time to come chat with us about your new book. Now, um, do you have a website or Facebook or if people want information about you, um, is there anywhere you want them to go that, other than Llewellyn.com? Llewellyn.com for now. I'm working on, on setting up a website. I, it's, it's, it's coming. There you go. All right. Well, we look forward to the future. Thank you so much. Again, thank you for having me. Phoenix's thank book you. is Spells from Scratch, How to Craft Spells That Work by Phoenix Silver Star, published by Llewellyn. Besides Phoenix, I'd like to thank Stephen, our sound engineer, for his technical expertise. And finally, I'd like to thank all of you out there, our listeners, for your continued support of all of our shows here on Circle Sanctuary Network Podcast, or CSNP. Our next show is March 21st, and I am so excited about this special show. In the spring of March 2019, Circle Sanctuary launched its own podcast network, and CSNP Circle Sanctuary Network Podcast was created. Circle Sanctuary, connecting all who follow nature center paths around the world, broadcast on Blog Talk Radio. CSNP podcasts are hosted by Selena Fox, Deborah Rose, which is me. Laura Gonzalez and Charbear, 
who are all Circle Sanctuary ministers. And we have engineering and technical support by Laura Gonzalez, Steve Curtin, and Pamela Kelly. Join us on March 21st for our special anniversary show. We're going to talk about CSNP in the beginning, what's happening now, what the future holds. And spoiler alert, we're going to be introducing a new show that will be airing in April. You do not want to miss this special anniversary show on Circle Talk. So please come back and tune in on March 21st. I'll look forward to being with all of you in the future. So please come back. Good night, everyone, and blessed be.